This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read from God's Word this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In the book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul addresses one of the problems in that church, and that was that the, there were people who were bringing accusations against Paul and doubts regarding Paul's credibility as an apostle. And that was the strategy of many false teachers in order to compromise the gospel which the Apostle Paul is teaching. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians seeks to show them that he is a true apostle of Jesus Christ who has, pro- who has preached the true gospel. Now here we read in chapter 13 these words. This is the third time I am coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. Being absent, now I write to them which heretofore have sinned to all other that if I come again I will not spare since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with an holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. 
Amen. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism and Lord's Day 7. Lord's Day 7. Are all men then, as they perished in Adam, saved by Christ? No. Only those who are engrafted into Him and receive all His benefits by a true faith. What is true faith? True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in His Word, but also an assured confidence which the Holy Ghost works by the Gospel in my heart. That not only to others, but to me also. Remission of sin, everlasting righteousness and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. What is then necessary for a Christian to believe? All things promised us in the Gospel, which the articles of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith briefly teach us. What are these articles? I believe in God, the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is such a thing as a counterfeit faith. There is such a thing as a fake kind of faith. That means that there are many pagan religions and cults around us, members of which claim to have faith, but really have a false faith. They believe the wrong things and the wrong gods. That there are many counterfeit kinds of faith also means that there are many apostate churches, false churches, who call themselves Christian, but whose members and leaders believe and teach doctrines of devils. They say they have faith, but it is a counterfeit faith. 
But this too is the case, that there are many fake faiths, means that there are individuals also in true churches who may do outwardly good works, but who do not have true faith, but are hypocrites. Paul implies that in 2 Corinthians 13 in the contacts. In verse 21 of chapter 12, we find this, unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you, that I shall bewail many, many in that church, that is, which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. There were those in that church of Corinth, a true church, that claimed to have faith, but did not. That's implicit too in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves, Paul says, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not that your own, your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. The word reprobate there does not mean, does not refer to reprobation as we understand it theologically. The word reprobate there is not referring to God's eternal rejection of some, though that is a true doctrine in God's Word. But the word reprobate there refers to those literally who fail the test. Paul calls the church in verse 5 to test or prove themselves the word reprobate there refers to those who fail the test. Claim to have faith, but when examined, they do not have true faith. Outwardly part of the church, but inwardly unbelievers. That is something that takes place in the church, even the true church of Jesus Christ. That was going on at Corinth. Many of these unbelievers within the church, as I said before I read the Scripture reading, were trying to attack the Gospel by bringing doubt to Paul's credibility. And so there was division in the church of Corinth as a result, and people were wondering. They began trying to test Paul's character. Is he truly a preacher of the Gospel? And Paul in verse 5 says, you've tried to test me, but now examine yourselves. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. And that's the calling today too, as we consider Lord's Day 7. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. I remind you that the Catechism has explained our misery in Lord's Days 2 through 4. It's explained the fact of our misery, that we are by nature totally depraved, prone to hate God and our neighbor, incapable of doing any good, inclined to all evil, and the law of God exposes that. We have seen about that misery, the fault of that misery, that it is not God's, He did not create us evil, but good. But Adam fell as our representative and his guilt was passed on to us. 
as well as the corrupt nature. It is man's fault, and we say it is my fault. That's my misery. And we have seen the Catechism teaches us about the fiery judgment. The fact of our misery, the fault of our misery, and then the fiery judgment that we deserve. Extreme and everlasting punishment of God against us, body and soul, in this life, temporally, and the next. And then in Lord's Days 5 and 6, the Catechism has explained the truth of the Mediator. We saw the slow transition in Lord's Day 5, that there is no way of salvation from this misery. No way when we consider the options that man tries to give. No way. In Lord's Day 6, we saw brought us but one. There is one way alone, and that is the true Jesus Christ, who is very God, very man, and perfectly righteous, the only mediator between God and man. But now notice in Lord's Day 7 that the Catechism will not allow everyone to take comfort in such a salvation and in such a Savior. On the basis of Scripture, the Catechism asks, Are all men then, as they perish in Adam, saved by this Christ? And the answer is no. The Catechism does not allow for universalism. It does not allow for universalism, that is, the kind that says that everyone in the world is saved and that God loves everyone. Neither does it allow for the universalism that says everyone in a true church is saved. Not all are saved. So who are saved? And a Reformed answer would be the elect, unconditionally chosen from before the foundations of the world. That is creedal. That is scriptural. A Reformed answer is also this, only those whom Jesus has died for, those elect that He has purchased salvation for. But the equally Reformed answer is the one that the Catechism focuses on and calls us to focus on those who have true faith. Only those who have true faith are saved by this Savior. Not on the basis of that faith. Not because of faith. But because of Jesus Christ in whom, or Christ works salvation, in whom, and He works this faith in all those whom He has saved. Examine yourselves, therefore, whether ye be in the faith. First, consider the activity of faith. We Secondly, consider the bond of faith. And finally, we consider the call to faith. Along with Lord's Day 7, we consider especially that imperative in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. We consider Lord's Day 7 from that perspective, the call to examine yourself, 
so that the Catechism's doctrine, theology about faith, is not merely factual review. It's not merely theoretical. So that as God's people sit in the pew, they're not thinking, I already know the facts of faith, what faith is, the definition, and so on. But we consider it from this perspective so that as you listen to the explanation of what faith is, you are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, examining yourselves whether you have this faith that Lord's Day 7 is describing. Examine yourselves. This should not be strange to us, such self-examination. As you know, before the Lord's Supper, you're supposed to engage in that self-examination. I read for you that part of the form for the Lord's Supper. And the second part of self-examination says this, that everyone examine his own heart whether he doth believe this faithful promise of God that all his sins are forgiven him only for the sake of the passion and death of Jesus Christ and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is imputed and freely given him as his own He so perfectly as if he had satisfied in his own person for all his sins and fulfilled all righteousness. The Lord's Supper form calls for such a self-examination that each one find in his heart before he partakes of the Lord's Supper such a faith. It should not be strange to us. And it's not something, it's not an activity that you're called to merely before the Lord's Supper, the day before, the Sunday before, but it is something that God's people regularly engage in. Examination regarding faith in our hearts. Am I believing in this Gospel, in this Jesus Christ? Those who refuse not only disobey the exhortation in this text, those who say, I will not engage in this introspection, show themselves failing the test. Children, if a teacher were to hand out a test in school, and you were to say, I'm not going to take the test. I'm not going to take the test. I refuse. You would get enough. You would fail. You're called to engage in this test, this examination of yourself. Examine yourselves, Paul by the Spirit calls the church. And he's not telling the members of the church of Corinth to try examining other people. Sometimes we, with our sinful natures, tend to go around trying to figure out whether that person or that person really has faith. That, in fact, remember, was one of the problems in the church of Corinth. They were examining Paul's ministry. They were putting him to the test. They were listening to the false teachers who were trying to discredit Paul. They were suspicious of him. The point is not suspicious of other people. Paul says, instead, instead, let each examine his own heart. The purpose is not to promote doubt. Some 
And I have to give this warning with such a text. Some, particularly those who follow the Puritan, the Puritans too much, or those theologians of the Netherlands Reformed Church, go to this extreme where there is a calling to examine self to such a degree, to such an extreme, that God's people become so inward focused that they do not turn outward to Jesus Christ, which is what faith is all about. And so there is a morbid introspection, a dwelling upon the weakness of faith and the weaknesses and sins of the soul rather than an outward looking, which is the activity of faith. In some churches, there is the calling to examine the self or some sort of special, supernatural experience. And so many live in doubt. That is not the purpose. That's not the goal of such self-examination. Rather, notice what Paul says in verse 5. In the second phrase, after he calls for this examination, Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you? He expects, you see, that God's people in examining themselves will find a real faith that the Spirit has worked in their hearts. And that if they don't, then they would heed the call to believe in Jesus Christ. The purpose and calling God's people to examine themselves is exactly the opposite of doubt. So that they might be confirmed in their faith. And so now, beloved, engage in that self-examination. Do I have, you are to ask, this faith and first of all, this activity of believing. Of believing. Notice that's the emphasis of the catechism. Faith is not merely a bond. We'll get to that in the second point. But faith is an activity. And by that word activity, sometimes it's misunderstood and sometimes purposely misunderstood. I do not mean that faith is good works. Faith is not good works. Faith is not prayer. Faith is not confession of sin. Faith is not making yourself a member of a true church. Those are all good works which demonstrate are good evidences of faith. But by the activity of faith, I'm not referring to those works. But to the heart believing. Faith even is not repentance, though that sorrowful turning of repentance will simultaneously accompany faith, believing. The Catechism defines faith as this believing activity with those two main ideas. True faith, notice, is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed in His Word. That's the first description or definition of faith. But also, not secondly, an assured confidence which the Holy Ghost works by the Gospel in my heart. You are called to examine yourself. Do I have 
that certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed in His Word. And you're called to examine yourself. Do I have this assured confidence which a Holy, Holy Spirit works by the Gospel in my heart? First, a certain knowledge. Knowledge. Faith is knowledge. It's the heart's mind. Not, not only the brain, that will come through the brain, but the heart's mind knowing the true God as He's revealed in His Word. In this anti-intellectual age where many Christians think faith is some feelings, this must be emphasized. Sometimes, dearly beloved, the feelings are not going to be there. You need to know that. Some struggle with doubts because they think faith is feeling. No, faith is knowledge. It's not whether I feel that I'm going to heaven or feel forgiven. Though we pray those feelings do come. But it's a knowledge of God as He's revealed in His Word. Do you believe? Do you have faith? Then you will know not just any God, not just anyone named Jesus Christ, many claim to believe in Jesus Christ, but the God and the Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. Really, in short, we can say that faith believes or knows the doctrines of God's Word. It's not merely that, but it does know the doctrines of God's Word. For how can you say you believe in God and believe in Jesus Christ if you don't know which God and which Jesus Christ? But the one that the doctrines of God's Word show. Faith is a knowledge of this true God and His Son Jesus Christ revealed in the Word and as the Catechism points out, summed up in the Apostles' Creed. This knowledge is exactly what Paul is referring to in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Notice how he puts it. He puts it in, a, in an interesting, unique manner. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. The faith. He doesn't say whether you believe, but and that's included, but he puts it this way, whether you, you be in the faith. And with that definite article, the before faith, Paul is referring especially to faith in an objective sense. In other words, he's talking about the content of faith. The doctrines that show us, reveal to us, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We sometimes speak of faith in that sense. We say, I hold to the Christian faith or the Reformed faith. We're talking about what we believe. The content of our faith. 
Paul is talking about the same thing here as the Catechism. When the Catechism in Answer 22 says, the articles of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith. The content, the truths, the gospel is found in the Scriptures. Again, in this anti-intellectual age, when everything is about just feelings, we must understand faith is a knowledge of the God revealed in the doctrines of Scripture. You have that faith. Examine yourselves. Paul doesn't say whether you have had a special Damascus way experience like me. Doesn't say examine whether you have done enough good works like me. Whether you've witnessed enough. No. Are you in the faith? In the faith. That's another unique expression. The word in the faith. And that word in goes along with the certain, the word certain in the catechism when it says certain knowledge. To be in the faith means you are one with the doctrines of God's Word. You hold for truth. You don't just have facts in your brain. With the heart, you hold for truth all that God has revealed in the Word. Your heart is united to these truths and to the God especially revealed by these truths. Are you in the faith? Are you convicted? Not just your parents are convicted. Not just your pastor and your leaders are convicted regarding these doctrines which reveal Jesus Christ and the true God. But you are convicted regarding these doctrines. All which God has revealed in His Word. To some, God has revealed more. To others, He has revealed less. In time, I mean. For example, little children, yet young Christians, know truths about this God and Jesus Christ. They embrace the same God in Jesus Christ we do. Though they might not have as many truths about God and His Son that the more mature adult does. But they have true faith. The point is that true faith does not pick and choose. I'll agree with this that the Bible says about God and His Son Jesus Christ. But not... Not this part. I, I'll, I'll agree with God's love, but not His justice and holiness. His grace and His gospel, but not, I don't want anything with His law and His lordship. Justification, but not, not sanctification. Election, but not reprobation. No. True faith holds for truth. It is a certain, convicted knowledge of all that God reveals in His Word. The Catechism gives a second essential activity as part of faith. 
not only a certain knowledge, but this now secondly. And here really is the emphasis of the catechism. But also, not only, but also an assured confidence which the Holy Spirit works by the gospel in my heart. An assured confidence. The word confidence there is important. The word confidence goes along with the exhortations in God's Word to trust, to lean, to cling to Jesus alone for all of salvation. The Budget Confession helps us here, explains that confidence when it says in Article 22 that faith embraces Jesus Christ embraces Jesus Christ with all His merits, appropriates Him and seeks nothing more besides Him. That proves, this this confidence, this trust proves that faith is not a mere intellectual activity. It is knowledge. But there is a danger in our churches that it's only knowledge. Yeah, I know the doctrines. Period. No faith trusts, leans, clings to Jesus Christ alone as revealed in the doctrines of Scripture. You're not clinging to actual pages of the Bible and to your work of doing your devotions and reading the Bible or your work of coming to church. Though those are important activities, you're clinging to the Jesus Christ as revealed in the Scriptures and Jesus Christ that speaks to you as He, pre- as he preaches personally to the three persons of the Godhead, and to Jesus Himself. That's faith. This is the personal aspect of faith. And Paul emphasizes this idea in verse 5, when he says, yourselves. Examine yourselves. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves. And the point is, that you know yourself to be saved. The Catechism points that out too, not only to others. Not only to others, but to me also. To me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness and salvation are freely given by God. Merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. You have this personal confidence that you know it's not because of me. 
That salvation is certainly about me. That Christ has saved me. And not, I don't only agree with the doctrine of election, but He chose me. Not because of anything in me, but He chose me. You don't only agree that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived the perfect life, perfectly righteous, we say. And He suffered and died for the sins of His people. But more faith in the heart knows personally that this Jesus was righteous in my place. And He suffered and he died, took hell for me. Not only that, he is the mediator between God and man. And that there is an unconditional covenant. But this. God is my friend. I am his. He is mine. And the mediator, mediator, Jesus Christ, links me to God so that none can pluck me out of His hand. Thus far, we've been talking about that activity of faith within the heart. We are to examine ourselves and find in ourselves this faith. At the heart, the mind, knows the truth that God and His Son revealed in the Word, is convicted, has a certain knowledge, and also that the heart trusts, has confidence, a personal confidence, that Jesus has saved me. Now a crucial question. How, how do I have this faith? How is it that I am believing and that you are believing today? Paul gives the answer in this phrase. Know ye not yourselves how that Jesus Christ is in you? He is in you. That's why. He is in you. That's why you believe. I didn't come to faith by myself. You don't believe by yourself. Not with your power, not with your strength, not with your free will. But because Christ is in you. That's the answer of God's Word. And that second phrase that Paul brings up in verse 5, Christ is in you, refers to what is called the bond of faith. The bond of faith must come before the activity of faith. And though we consider it in the second point, you must know, you must understand that the bond must be made before you believe. And without that bond of faith, you cannot, you will not. You will only reject Jesus Christ. This is how we believe. Through the gift of the bond of faith. The Catechism points to that in the first question and the answer of Lord's Day 7. 
When it asks, are all men then as they perished in Adam saved by Christ? And the answer is no. And then this, only those who are engrafted into Him. Only those who are engrafted into Him and receive all His benefits by a true faith. How did faith get to our hearts? Listen. Jesus has all the power. Jesus has all the benefits of salvation, including faith itself. Jesus, when He lived a life of perfect righteousness and died on the cross, merited, the Catechism says, Christ merits, He earned all the blessings of salvation, including faith itself. When you are dead in trespasses and sins of yourself, and so Jesus Christ, having died, having risen again, having earned all the blessings of salvation, including faith itself, then has joined Himself to you, to us, with that bond of faith. And the picture is familiar but important. The picture of engrafting. Jesus is the living vine with all the blessings of salvation. And we are the branches, disconnected of ourselves, dead and dying. And He, by His Spirit, comes to us and takes us. And He joins us to Himself in His mercy. And causes there to flow from Himself to us faith and through faith all the blessings of salvation you should know this you do know this Paul puts it that way know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you and that brings us back to the knowledge of faith those who believe those who have this true faith, this genuine faith, know this too. I don't have this faith of myself. It is a gift of God. First, the bond that Jesus has made between Himself and me. And then the activity of a certain knowledge and an assured confidence in all salvation being freely given me for Jesus' sake. He doesn't believe for me as a substitute. No. That's another error related to the error of antinomianism or hyper-Calvinism. But supernaturally, ineffably, the canons put it, mysteriously, powerfully, he works in me. 
and in each of his people, both to will and to act in believing, so that it may rightly be said, I believe, you believe, by his power. Do you find this faith in your heart? then you know that you are saved not because of that faith. For as you find that faith in your soul, you realize that faith is still very weak. But when you find that faith in your soul, remember, here is where we must make the transition and not fall into the errors of some of the Puritans and the Netherlands Reformed. When you see in examining yourself that there is the faith that God has given you in your heart, and remember, faith looks outward. It doesn't continue in this introspection, but it looks outward. Faith always looks outward. Not to anyone else and anything else, but only to Jesus Christ. And keeps looking at Him, at Him alone. For all of salvation, including for the very gift and strengthening of faith. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I call you to this, this faith of looking to Jesus Christ. To Him who is the very person, the second person of God, made flesh, that He might live a perfect life in our place. I call you to look to Him and trust in Him for full remission of sins. A perfect life of good works and obedience lived for us already so that there is no good work left for us to do to gain, to earn this salvation. Look to Him not only for the remission of sins and for heaven itself, but look to Him alone for your life of holiness, for your sanctification also. Turn to Him. Except if you reprobates, Paul says, meaning except you fail the test. There are those, some in the church, who in self-examination don't find the true living faith. And the calling to you is not despair. The calling to you is not spiral downward in doubt and fear and worry. The calling to you is the same. Believe. Hear the voice of Jesus Christ speak through weak means. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. While it is yet today, though you may not have believed in the past, today be converted. 
And by that very call of Jesus Christ, hearts turn to trust in Him alone, desperately in Him alone, for all of salvation. May God's Word, as you hear it this morning also, be a means of faith. To give faith for the first time if necessary. And also to strengthen that faith that you have found, indeed, to be in you by His grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, let it be, let it be that the Word preached might be by the power of the Holy Spirit unto salvation. Let it be that faith is given, that faith is strengthened. Don't let it be that the doctrine of faith is a mere theory or intellectual idea. But let it be that faith is a Christ-given bond which indeed does unite us to Jesus in a real activity of a certain knowledge and an assured confidence. Let that be, O God, in the hearts of Thy people here and for the praise and glory of Thy name and the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.